Welcome to Jews Taekwondo Podcast. Today we have Mr. Sean Chua from Singapore. He's a fourth degree black belt and the coach for Singapore. How are you doing today, Mr. Chua? Good morning, sir. I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Great, thanks. Thanks for um, sharing some ideas and catching up with me today. My can, pleasure, sir. Can you kind of give us a little bit of background on yourself, um, how you started Taekwondo and um, where you're at? Ah, uh, Okay. I started Taekwondo in primary one. I'm not sure which grade that is for you, but it was seven years old when um, our, our president, uh, Master Sung, president of ITF Singapore, was teaching in our school. So he gave out le- leaflets, actually, uh, promoting Taekwondo. And at the time, when we were young, we, we loved to watch the Chinese martial arts, Hong Fei Hong, Jet Li, and things like that. So who wouldn't want to, right? So we, we jumped at an opportunity. And we started Taekwondo from there. Oh, that's very cool. Master Singh, was he teaching mostly out of uh, community centers and after-school programs? I'm guessing that's how it worked. Yes, at the time, he had a HQ with uh, several other seniors in uh, the Taekwondo community. And also, he was teaching in quite a few schools. So in particular, my school was maybe about 100 old students. And we had a weekly Saturday session with him. Oh, very cool. Kind of give us a little bit of experience about your international taekwondo experience. You mean in the international scene? Sure. I know you participated in the World Championship in England, I believe. I have been, we have been always encouraged to take part in tournaments, but uh, frankly, not a very big group of us managed to go to them. So it started with the regional tournaments in Malaysia, Australia, and then there was no Asian championships at the time. I had the opportunity to go to Geelong. That was my first uh, world championships as a junior. So I really enjoyed it. We saw such a huge crowd, a very different atmosphere of Taekwondo. And that really opened my eyes to the international aspect of Taekwondo, of ITF Taekwondo. And yeah, since then, it's been, I don't know, over 10 years they have been competing and have been to maybe three or five world championships so far. Oh, good. Coaching as far as uh, competing. That's great. You said you um, competed in Geelong in Korea. That was, what year was it? In, 19- no, that was in oh, I'm sorry? Um, Australia. Australia, sorry. Oh, it was in Australia. That's when Master Maletta hosted it. Is that correct? I That should be right, sir. Yeah, I probably met you then. That's when I met um, <laughs> Master Singh. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. It does seem like a long time ago. Thanks for coming out and visiting the United States and stopping by my place. I really appreciate that. I think um, uh, it was great seeing you and kind of catching up and yes, sharing pleasure, some sir. ideas. Mm-hmm. Have you great thought more about what we, we talked about? Absolutely. Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, many times. Actually wrote a bit of notes that maybe I'll, I'll share with you at the time. I wanted to like send it over, but maybe yeah. I should have more my own input instead of just telling you what you have been telling me. And yeah, I, I really missed the chance to train with you guys, but it looked like a great place you have there. So I'd love to visit again sometime. Yeah, next time. So you're in Malaysia right now. That's right. I'm, I'm working in a, kind of a family business in engineering in Kuala Lumpur. And are, you, about, are you training as well? Yes, sir. I'm training with uh, Sir Andy and Sir Ivan with the ITF Taekwondo School here. They're the HQ also for Malaysia, uh, Zest Martial Arts Academy. Oh, okay. Great. And that's Andy Lowe, is that right? And oh, yes. uh, Ivan, what's his last name? Ivan Liu. Lim? Liu. Liu. L-I-E-W. Yeah. Connect- yeah. Connections. Okay, I think. <laughs> kind of share your thoughts about the difference between 
what you've seen at the World Championship versus um, what you've seen around the, the world? Yes, sir. Hmm. I mean, what's your what's your point of view on that? At the World Championships, we always I always observe that every country has their distinctive style when they do patterns and when they spar. So in, in essence, when we take videos and we go back to teach or share with our, our, our students or our peers in Taekwondo, we always try to pick out the good parts and how some ways of doing techniques can make it look nicer, may not apply as well. And there's a variety of ways to do a technique or so many people have interpreted the techniques. I see that, I mean, there's, there's no judgment here whether it's good or bad, but sometimes when you want to perform it nicer, it may turn out less powerful or you're not utilizing your body enough, compensating for balance and, and rhythm and things like that. So it's very interesting over the, the past few worlds I've been to actually observe, train with them and try to understand why they do um, some movements differently from others. And sometimes it just all comes to comes down to style and preference of how they like to look. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree. <laughs> were you at the Asian Championship last year? Mm-hmm. You were there? Oh, sorry. Last year, no. That was in um, in Korea. In Korea, that's right. So. No, you, you weren't there. No, I wasn't there. Yeah, so uh, we were there and I, I did notice there's quite a difference because because of um, the fact that it was mostly Asian countries, it's, it was definitely different um, in the patterns. I think it was different. Sparring's a little bit different. Uh, that's right. We, it does seem like in the past few world championships, we haven't had a large Asian contention. Would you agree with that? Yeah, very much so. Um, the teams that even Japan, Korea, Singapore, Malaysia are sending, definitely a lot smaller than their, I mean, in terms of percentage of their student base maybe because of also the location the price and and things like that but in the asian community the asian countries where they hold their own regional tournaments you definitely see a lot more than um the the familiar few faces that usually attend the world championships yeah when we were at the asia championship was a pretty good turnout and Mm -hmm. um yeah it was good what else do you notice kind of the difference well i mean can be a little bit more specific so uh, as far as what you see with um what we in the United States do compared to what maybe you see you're in your own training or maybe your own school? Between the United States, the USA team, I would say there are more similarities and differences. Huh? Um, well, we hope it is, right? Because it is ITF <laughs> and we are trying yes, to sir. train uh, like uh, General Che. Mm-hmm. As General for example, yes, sir. for example, like I was, I was trying to say how some countries... I mean, not even countries, some people maybe, they want their techniques to look a certain style. For example, kicking high has been always a contention. And and even the ITF, uh, the umpiring committee has said, you have to perform your techniques correctly, uh, apply it properly and not kick too high or too low for, for certain levels of kicks. Apart from focusing on just that technique itself, I would say there's a very comprehensive application understanding of uh, techniques when when you see a USA competitor on the ring you can see that he is doing a sine wave he is trying to he or she obviously of course is trying to be natural in the movement the techniques are accurate and that they can be used in a proper position proper stances for me just 
from my observation, I would say that what Masterson has taught us, even for competitions, is that whether it looks nice or not, you have to first fulfill the technique criteria, which is applying it correctly. If it's eye level, it's eye level. Your twisting and your sine wave all have to come together. Your hands and feet have to stop together. And that's what I see across all the different... Um, from what I've observed, the, the USA team, where you apply um, all parts of the body to, to one technique. I'm not sure if you're, if I'm being coherent here. So. Yeah, no, I, I'm just, I'm just but, listening to what you have to say. Yeah, so that's kind of what uh, we've been, what I've been trying to do with my guys as mm -hmm. far as, um, you know, we want to perform it with as much power as possible as well mm -hmm. as trying to make the, the patterns look like they're nice and clean. Does that make sense? That's right. Not to make it look posing as well. So sometimes mm -hmm. I do see that, you know, where it looks like they're posing and it's the uh, the yes. rhythm is not quite right. That's right. So to be more specific, I would say that, for example, some some Asian countries, they have very sharp techniques, but like you said, they're posing, they, they just put their leg in the air and it's not really a kick. Or for some European countries, I'm generalizing, of course, not being any racist or... Uh, bias, but they can put a lot of mass, which is good. You see so much power from one person, but sometimes you tend to lose the power, the the, the sharpness of the technique. Right, kind of a trade off, I guess. You mentioned something uh, when you were here. We were at at breakfast, and I said, "Oh, you're leaving your phone out on the table here. You should probably put that <laughs> away." And um, you said, "Well, we do that in Singapore. It's not really much of a problem." Maybe can you elaborate a little bit about? how the general public feels as far as their safety and um, yes, do you have much crime in Singapore? I think now that I'm living in Malaysia, it's also a bit of a culture shock because in Singapore, it's always been very safe. We have a very stable political scene and a very strict uh, law enforcement uh, over there. So crime has always been very low. Education rates are very high. So there's very little petty theft, actually. And we're, we've always grown up with this comfort of security, of trusting you know, um, the next person not to come and snatch your phone away, that we actually um, don't pay much attention to sort of keeping our valuables really close to us. Uh, for example, like at, at a restaurant table, like I said, um, we just leave our phones at the side. And sometimes we just leave at a cafe, for example, we leave our phones, our, our wallets on the table our bags on the seat, and then we, we head to the toilet with no one taking care of it. And, and we have this this mentality that no one is going to is going to take it away. We live with many houses with our gates usually open, uh, our doors open. And yeah, that, that happens at my home too. We always have our, our doors open, although we have our gates there. So you don't worry about intruders? Yeah, because of course we're in a high-rise flat as well. So out of the... 300 in the building, there's a very little chance of getting intruded upon. But you don't yes, live in the rural country. <laughs> Although in the rural country, you might leave doors open anyway, so because there's not very many people. Exactly. I think we are very blessed to have a low crime rate to have even this kind of mentality. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that uh, in the United States that um, it's not safe. You know, I mean, I have left stuff. But then on the other hand, you know, I do know people that have left stuff and all of a sudden it's gone. You know, their computer is stolen, their phone's stolen. Um, you know, it happens. And it probably happens everywhere around the, the world. I mean, we, mm -hmm. we've lost stuff like in Italy, you know. Um, yes, sir. We lost, I think we lost something in England too. <laughs> oh, no. Did we lose something okay. in Korea? I don't remember. <laughs> 
<laughs> like when how would I put it? When we are overseas, we are always reminded, oh, maybe you shouldn't wear so much fallibles when you go this this way or try to avoid these areas. And it's it's new to Singaporeans because we don't have kind of like shady areas. We have the red light districts, but it's not like you know, you go there and, and you expect to find trouble or murder on the streets. Um, Is that the impression that um, Singaporeans have of the United States? No, 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 not of the US, <laughs> but we get we get more precautions and we hear more horror stories about people not being careful, Singaporeans not being careful overseas. Yeah. And that's why they are targets. Do Singaporeans like to uh, do martial art for self-defense or is it just more of an art? Nowadays, it's a very rapidly changing, I mean, uh, a rapidly modern city. <laughs> Sorry, how do I put that? A very modern generation. We have very high access to uh, the internet and very high internet penetration. So I would say that with the, the combination of a very high education level and safety in the country, it's very little emphasis on self-defense and crime because we hardly hear of it at all. Oh. There's almost zero petty theft. People don't take up martial arts so much because they don't feel the need to, um, unless it's it's more of the parents saying, you need to learn some discipline, you need to have a culture, uh, learn something and learn an art something that you can go into and learn values from. But other than that, it's a, it's also a very um, results-oriented country. Mm-hmm. So a lot of uh, parents want for their kids to go into sports or even if it's not, I mean, something that they can win medals in, they can go to sports meets and Olympics or even something like chess, tennis, golf, things that are a little bit more... <laughs> I have a, I have a Malay word for this, but no, I can't think of it. You have a Malaysian word for it. What is that word? It's atas. <laughs> it kind of means like uh, higher. It's like chi chi, right? A bit more elite. We're very blessed to have a very high average income, mm-hmm. so we can afford to, to learn golf and tennis. Sure. And, and a lot of uh, sports that require high amount of uh, investment. It does seem that way when I visited Singapore. It's, it's a very nice country. Um, do you think that um, you said there's a lot of strict police laws? That what is that, sir? You said that you have strict police laws or you have a lot of policing in your country, oh, in yes. Singapore? Do, That's right. Do you think that um, deters criminals? Or is it something that is is it more of a society where people are just learn learn to be more respectful? Or not to say that we don't try to teach that. Is it a family culture, country culture? What is it? I would say it's definitely both culture and the strict laws. We're definitely known internationally for being very strict. Even um, the recent uh, reporter questioned our, our PM during the Trump Kim summit in Singapore about how we are repressive of our people in the way that we. You're repressive. The government's repressive <laughs> to the people, meaning that you don't have the right to speak out? We have very... It, it used to be the way that we think. It, it has the, the, the notion that you'll be punished if you speak out. And that's like in the Asian cu- culture as well. You don't speak against your elders. Right. You learn to respect them first. And most of the time, you're getting more scolding than encouragement. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very... I would say my observations of the Western and, and Asian society is a lot of uh, 
different kinds of uh, encouragement. One is re negative reinforcement, where I scold you so that you do less mistakes. Right. The trend in, in the Western countries is that I encourage you so that you learn to do more good, which is both essentially trying to teach people to be good, right? Right. But in the sense that our laws are really strict so that, like you said, they deter people for sure. <laughs> We're called also jokingly a fine city where you see many signs um, everywhere. It's like no littering, fine $500, no smoking, fine $200, you know, uh, all over the city. So it has become ingrained in us. It's, it's normal to us to think that if we do something wrong, we'll be punished for it. Mm, I see. Mm -hmm. I see what you're saying. It's kind of like my parents, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because um, I think your mom was talking to my wife about returning merchandise and i said oh yeah um grace is a the queen of return she buys <laughs> don't like return ah let's just buy it and then return it. and then your mom said something to the effect like oh no we buy it we never return it yes the first thing is that it's never been in our culture so probably ignorance is bliss for for the companies and the second thing is they they don't allow it oh they don't so, allow it yeah so i i don't know which started first whether it was a norm for America to give uh, return policies already or that the Asian cultures never had this or they, they, they didn't want to do it anymore. So, so yeah, most of them don't have a return policy. So there is no return policy at, at um, in Singapore? No, so you there, buy something, it's defective, no, you don't return it? There is, I mean, from the old days, of course, no, but now that we have a lot of international brands, um, many of them are starting to have it, especially the, the bigger brands. But if not, it, it's just not in our culture. We Is that the same in Malaysia or is it different? The same. Oh, same. Probably Very almost similar. everywhere in, in Asia. I've been to quite a few of the Asian countries. I don't see much of it in Hong Kong and, and China even also. But with the rise of uh, online shopping, I guess it's a lot more common now. Right. Hmm. So is it Amazon in uh, Singapore? Yes, sir. As, I guess not as popular yet as the, the Asian counterparts. Oh, I see. There's other companies that are like Amazon. Yep, most are very locally catered, which... Uh, What's that local. one in, from China? Um, Alibaba, is that what they do? Mm -hmm. Alibaba is more big scale for companies, more industrial, commercial. Yeah. They have their Taobao as well, which is very popular even in Singapore and Malaysia. Although they have restrictions on shipping here, it's still so popular. Uh, people get agents to ship it over and, and it's cheap and it's good. Do you guys uh, fear like terrorism? Mm, for Singapore, there's a very low fear factor. We never had really kind of like uh, local, like for example, mass shootings or crazy people going around. There have been, of course, the stabbings and things like that, but even gangs, unlawful gangs, mafia, for example, are so reduced. We don't hear of any. You don't feel the threat at all and um, but in recent years the government has been trying to keep us very vigilant instead of just leaving all the security to the forces by always advertising that terrorism can happen anywhere and it's just a matter of time because we are big, actually uh, a very potential target in asia why are you a potential target in asia we have a very big international community it's a very stable country that would benefit the terrorists very much from destabilizing of course we are one of mm. the most stable 
countries uh, economy economically prosperous in Asia. Is it hard to go into the into Singapore? I mean, obviously, I didn't have to get a visa, but mm-hmm. um, to get into Singapore, I would say I don't think they make it hard because number one, we're such a small country, as and our stance is to make as many foreign friends as possible, right? Sure. Yeah. I don't think we should be restricting a lot of people, but I'm very sure that there are very strict checks um, coming in from everywhere. When I'm at the the beach, sometimes late at night, I, I go camping, for example, the Coast Guard and later on the police also comes in the same night, patrolling the waters, mm. checking out. High presence um, of... Uh, yes, high uh, presence of security. Security. Um, and, I guess we we don't take our peace for granted, and we always keep it running. Yeah, no, I'm just interested. It's just because um, what motivates people to do like martial art, and um, so how about uh, mixed martial art? Is that big and popular in um, Singapore, Malaysia? Yes. So I don't know whether it's an unfortunate thing, but the the people, the young people that like to follow trends, will just follow whatever they see on TV. Oh, mixed martial arts is a big thing now. Um, it was, I mean, when Ip Man came out, lots of people went to learn Wing Chun, and <laughs> for example, you know, yeah, and uh, they just find what they see interesting, so they go try it out, and it's a very uh, ADD <laughs> problem, I guess, that uh, does not benefit martial arts. So lots of people are, are mixed martial arts now, yes, because we have a very strong female champion from from Singapore. So in mixed martial art, yes, in MMA scene, oh, as the world okay. champion for a few years already. So oh. we're all very proud of her. <laughs> That's a huge following. And, so her her uh, well, her gym is doing really well. I think she doesn't run a gym yet. She's still training. Just training. Mm-hmm. That's good. But. Yeah, other than MMA, I mean, just for sports or yoga, Pilates, something like that, people just easily jump to one or another, even the different brands of uh, fitness centers. <laughs> like, I, I'm not sure if you ever have even this uh, gym called California Fitness. California. California <laughs> Fitness. I don't know. <laughs> I've never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's one of our biggest. Uh, fitness franchises in Singapore. It's probably a local guy. Just uh, that'd be a cool name to have. <laughs> California Fitness. Uh, I mean, that's what you guys think of California, is, isn't it? Fitness. Fitness <laughs> yeah, people. <laughs> and they can charge high prices and everyone goes to it. Just California. Well, yeah. I mean, you guys are, I mean, that's Singapore, right? I mean, how much is it? How much do you say a mini costs over there? $100,000 for a mini and then you have to pay your, your, um, Tax on that of fifty thousand in order to buy a car. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Wow. I mean, it's because of a lot of factors, because of space, because of yeah. congestion. Oh, absolutely! Like it's a, it's actually a small country, <laughs> lots of people. <laughs> Probably like New York or something, where you don't really want to drive. That's right. We're lucky to have a good infrastructure to have the trains and buses take us everywhere. Still very convenient without a car. Yeah, it's a little bit different though. I mean, everything's very local for you, and. Right. Um, it's very condensed, I think. Master Singh also does a little bit of Hapkido. Can you kind of tell, right, tell me a little bit the difference and similarities between the two art? Yeah, sure, sir. Hapkido is also a Korean martial art. It does more with a lot of locking self-defense techniques. But um, a system, I did a bit of Hapkido, I think, up to Blue or Red Belt with him as well. They have also a very comprehensive technique uh, system where they have strikes with the hands and legs. They have their kicks. But Master Sung, of course, 
focuses more on the self-defense part where there's locking, throwing, um, rolls, brick falls, and things like that. Our syllabus, our grading syllabus in Hapkido under Master Sun was uh, very self-defense heavy. We had to do dozens of techniques for every grading and for the black belt, you have to do, I think, 400 techniques. <laughs> Uh, for for the first degree. For um, when you talk about technique, you're talking about different uh, scenario in self defense and how you respond to that. Correct. So 400 memorized techniques from. That's a lot of memorization. But then okay. in taekwondo, you have to memorize <laughs> a lot of movements, right? For patterns. <laughs> That's right. Basically, from white belt to to the brown belt, black belt. I'm not sure it deeper how it goes for Hapkido, but Masasun always. He always positions Hapkido as if you want to learn more of self-defense and locking low-impact uh, martial arts. It actually complements uh, Taekwondo quite well. And he has quite a few friends in martial arts who run schools also combining Taekwondo and Hapkido. And it's very interesting. They have their own <laughs> style names for it. They don't do sparring so much, but they do a lot of very effective uh, locking and self-defense from even weapons, knives, and guns, uh, gun threats. Yeah, but those are all the things that doesn't happen in Singapore. Doesn't happen. Sorry. I mean, you don't. You have a real strict gun laws. So yes, it, it does, definitely does not happen. You, you but... would never actually get to participate in how to disarm someone with a gun, <laughs> right? <laughs> Unfortunately, not. Or maybe yeah. fortunate. But yeah. lots of us travel. It's also a, a nationwide bug that we love to travel because our country is so tiny. Yeah. So. So. So would you says. say that? Um, you say it's very. Uh, self more self-defense oriented in what Master Singh teaches. Most people probably, as you had mentioned earlier in Taekwondo, you get, you're not doing it for self-defense, you're doing it more for the art. Is that the same for the Hapkido? Yes, of course. In Hapkido, I would say that a lot of our, our martial arts um, or the public perception of it is, is through our tournaments, through what they see we perform on YouTube. But Master Sung always had emphasized also on taking a break to talk to the students about their values, on doing a bit of meditation in between our exercises. Right. Um, also in Hapkido, we have uh, set breathing techniques where we have to move our arms and, and legs in, in uh, different positions and timings, breathing through the different uh, ways, which was very interesting to learn that it's just not just something physical, but also internally, mentally, and also spiritually. Uh, Sounds like um, somewhat similar to chai, uh, Tai Chi. Mm -hmm. A little bit, not. <laughs> yeah, not exactly, not but maybe something like that. I yeah. I also understand that um, Master Singh likes to um, have the students um, clean the floor before you uh, actually work oh, out. Yes. Is that true? Yes, uh, we, we do it every every lesson, before and after the lesson. I wish I could First, get my students to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, like every, I think Master Sung is very courageous. He, he dares to do anything that he learns. He sees on books. He learns from friends, new exercises. He tries it with us and he asks the seniors, what do you think of it? And when it's good, even if it's difficult, after a while, it may just become a, a part of the routine. So we learn to improve ourselves. Many, I mean, uh, we, we used to not have games, but uh, recently we always, now it's part of our training to have at least five to 10 minutes of martial arts games, uh, even anything to, to do with coordination and things like that. They are not, that are not actually punches or blocks or kicking. Yeah. And the, the kids enjoy it a lot. Yeah, I think that... Um... 
cleaning the floor might be、um, good for teaching <laughs> humility. It would be to respect the dojang. I would say a, a big tip is、uh, to ask your most senior members, to, your, your black belts, to do it. So the rest have no choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if the senior can do it, you can do it. <laughs> That's right. That's it. Start slow, half a mat. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a full thing. That's good. After a while, it's become routine. Yeah. Very cool. Um, I I know it's kind of late for what time is it for you? It's fine. So it's coming to one a.m. But one a.m. What time do you、mm-hmm. wake up? Seven. Oh, so it's very late for you. You're not getting much sleep. Nah, I'm. I'm all.、Okay. You're okay. You're you're a young young man. Do you have any questions that you want to ask me? Plenty, sir. Plenty. Well. <laughs> Will not finish if I start asking too many. Maybe I would like to ask about how do you actually encourage your students to, to open schools or continue beyond? Because lots of what our modern societies, I would say, at least in Singapore and Malaysia, is that once they finish their studies, they start working. They have less time for martial arts. They have less time for everything. They start families, and it becomes less of priority naturally. Does Your school? How do you、sir? encourage them to actually keep taekwondo as part of their lives? Yeah, I think、uh, we have very similar issues that you might be facing. You know,、um, a large population of of my studio is children. I don't have a lot of、uh, adults.、Uh, have a few, but the few、Hello. adults that de- that are there probably like in your、oh, own you ca- school. You're cutting off a bit. Yeah, I didn't hear you after. Yeah, <laughs> I just started. Sorry. Oh, okay, no problem. Can you hear me now?、Mm-hmm. Yep.、Uh, what, what was I saying? I, I was saying that I think we have the similar problems. As you get older, you have other responsibilities, and you have you know family, children, work. I think that's common, and so set priorities, right? And、mm-hmm. um, taekwondo may not become as big of a priority. I have the same problems in my studio. It's I have a lot of children. I this a few adults that I have. They are very dedicated. They do come, you know, for quite often. It's it's hard though, for many of them, especially if they're working and traveling. I don't have a lot of people that have schools, but the ones that I that are training with me, one is、um, a business owner. He's getting to retire, and he wanted to do、um, another business that would. Keep them involved in martial art, taekwondo, and、um, okay. something to do. That might be the reason why he does it. Another one, I have a another instructor who's just recently retired and also wants to do, you know, help students and、um, enjoys doing taekwondo.、Um, That's great. I have another. Well, he's a head instructor. He's helping me with my San Ramon school. He's not too long graduated from college, so he、oh. trained one. With me when he was younger and、uh, went to school. He had a little club up when he was in in、uh, college and、um, started training with me a little bit again. I got him to help me teach classes. So that's Mr. Leong. He's really、oh. busy. He's、um, you know working. He's helping me. He's helping his mom and dad do his、uh, with their business.、Wow. Yeah. So I don't have a lot of people that want to do it. I think、um, <laughs> I think I think、uh, we face the same issues as as you do. Yes, like for yourself. Have you ever thought about running your own dojang? I it, it's natural. Definitely, we have thoughts of that. Even of、uh, when we are helping、uh, Master Sung in his own dojang already. I like to travel, and my work involves a lot of travel. So it's hard for me to tie down. Even in Malaysia, so so Andy has asked whether I would like to take a class, and I said I can't commit. I can't even train with him regularly because I'm usually overseas, going back to Singapore. Yeah. I have work to do on Sundays as well. So, well, I guess、uh, again that priorities, right? And、uh, yeah, 
I, I can't be definitely telling my class uh, I can only do it twice. Yeah, right now that, that may be the case. You know, when I think back about um, all these years of doing Taekwondo, so I started when I was about 18 years old. Busy, yeah. I've kind of always had a club, a school, a dojang. But, you know, today, when I think about it, if I, th- I think about if I had the opportunity to do it the way I'm doing it now, would I do it? I think I would. The problem that I had was I didn't really have a mentor that could help me wow. okay. to, to deal with that. When I was a first or second degree black belt in California, it was Master Wheatley was one of the head instructors. He was down in, in the Southern California, and I mm-hmm. consider him my instructor. And I was in Northern California. And so between the two of us, we kind of worked together, did organize events. I didn't see him on a regular basis, you know, so I might see him every three months or so because it was like 400 miles too far. Wow. So I had to do my own club, dojong. I had to learn it on my own and didn't have a model to go, yeah, I could do that. Or there, there's an example, you know, of how, how it could be done. Or even to consult with someone about, well, how do you handle this? Or how do you handle that? How do you start this? How do you start a, a commercial martial arts school? Or, or why would you want to have a commercial martial arts school? You know, there's a lot of debate regarding um, integrity as far as, you know, do you sell out, um, keep the integrity of the martial art? And there's a balance for sure. I mean, on one hand, you've got to keep your doors open. If you don't keep your doors open, then you don't have martial art. You don't have taekwondo. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, a full-time dojang like the what I have allows me to train with a lot more people. And a lot more people can be exposed to that. Um, since I've had my full-time dojang, I've trained with a lot more people than when I had it as a club. Uh, in the club, I only had maybe, I don't know, 30 people at the most. So it's limited in that way. So getting more people involved in Taekwondo, I think is a good thing. What do you mean at a club, sir? You mean like a, a general gym? Yeah, so when I was like a first, second degree black belt, I was doing it out of a like a YMCA or a, a gym, like a health club, a church, a some community center so okay. it would be limited to maybe two times three times a week um, I see. very few like today i have i have classes all day long you know i don't do all yes. of them but <laughs> there's just more exposure i think and i think it's good the more exposure you have um you can reach more people more people can train and um yeah if, if i had someone that could have helped me be more successful in that area i think that'd be great i mean you talk about traveling since i've had um my full-time dojang i've probably traveled more internationally mm. than when i was um had it as a club i mean i traveled a lot i mean even when i did had a club out of a ymca i mean i did travel like to canada for a pan-american games i traveled around the country um mm-hmm. a lot within the within california for sure I, I think i get to do a little bit more now so I would encourage people to do it if they, if there was someone there to help them, for sure. If we in the International Taekwondo Federation community had a program that could help mentor instructor, why not, you know? It makes a lot of sense that if there's some support that, that ITF or that your peers or your mentors have for you, if you want to set up or to be encouraged to and to be not be given a blueprint, but 
kind of uh, shown a path and guided along along the way. I think that would very much help anyone who's interested to to spread Taekwondo. Yeah, I think you need need um, a mentor that can talk to you on a regular basis and maybe have discussions why I do certain things, why I do that, I don't do certain things. Like right now, I try to spend a lot of time with Mr. Leong because uh, he's helping me with my San Ramon studio. I want that to be successful. But on the same note, he has to learn what it takes to to make it successful. And what is success? I don't know. There's all definition, right? Yes. If you make a a million dollars a year, that's successful. Yeah, you get good reviews, but (laughs) you don't have any any students. But I was curious about thought process in Singapore or in Asia. I think it's interesting to understand your culture Mm -hmm. and how that affects Taekwondo. I do teach... ITF Taekwondo traditionally, I think, but with that emphasis of self-defense. And then I always bring in scenarios. I talk about scenarios about certain situations where you may not actually have that because of the fact that the crime rate is low or the mentality of, of that is lower. I mean, I have students that have come up to me and told me, hey, thanks for teaching me Taekwondo. Uh, some guy pulled a knife on me and I was able to disarm him. I was just, that's awesome. Oh, my goodness. Right? I have a, yeah. I have a student that um, told me three guys approached him while he was shopping, grocery shopping, and mm-hmm. um, he seriously put one in the hospital. You know, that that happens. I've had other students. Oh, I had a yellow belt who was um, at a party and was chatting with a young lady and her boyfriend came up and was a little bit upset and pulled a knife on him and he did a front snap kick and that stopped him. But the police interrogated him more than they interrogated the guy with the knife. So, yeah, I I have a lot of stories I can share with the students um, from a self-defense point of view. So it's just different, I think. That's why I I was curious about. I think in um, the United States, traditional martial arts seems to be fading or people people think think of it as uh, you're just giving out black belts. What does that mean? You know? Yeah. I would agree with it to a certain degree, I think. But it's really, I think, the instructor. It's what the instructor is teaching and their values and um, what they right. want their students to get out of it. I think a lot of a lot of um, martial arts schools in America is is for discipline and respect. I think a lot's where a lot of children do it. And I, I totally agree with that, I think. But that's probably where, if you have that, you probably don't have to worry about a bad society, right? If we can get more people to be more yeah, respectful to each other, then maybe we would have a Singapore situation. <laughs> that's why when you said you share situations about danger, we don't have that, so we don't share that much about it. We, we can only tell them so much of um, maybe when you go overseas, it might be more dangerous. Right. You can't wait until you get hurt, until and it'll be too late. And also, the other thing about Masterson likes to teach values and telling the parents that it's going to teach them how to focus better at work, at at school, and and things like that. Right. And uh, it works on a lot of... He emphasizes a lot on family. He also encourages the parents to join the classes, actually, join Taekwondo with their kids. Absolutely. it has been quite successful in in some schools, which we even had a parent class once. But I think a a very big... uh, issue with what you were saying sir, about how to promote or rather how the outlook on martial arts is it's very hard to promote because it is very intangible right we can't tell people oh he's become more responsible by how much how much since since training with us or how much he has improved how we have potentially put him on a better path 
in society. So many people will not be able to see the benefits of martial arts until they actually do it. Very true. Yeah. I do see some students that get better, you know, less discipline and they, after training for a while, they are more disciplined. Is it training or is it they got older? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> That's right. We're going to say it's training. <laughs> It will, yeah, it will be a part of it. Yep, that's true. That's you, you guys live in a bubble. <laughs> I know, right? I'm just going to say that. You guys live in a bubble. <laughs> no, it, it's... um. It's true. It's always good and bad, of course. Yeah, no, it's true. But I think um, if we can teach better values, and I think that's true with uh, Asian culture. I mean, if you think about like Confucianism or um, just mm-hmm. family values and... Um, the way their the culture is, I think I think that's a, a major difference. There was a uh, there's definitely different ways of bringing up a child across the different countries in the world. Right. And one one thing I like to it always is in my mind when I lived with a family in New York for a few weeks. Mm. I was helping them at the house and they put me up. He asked me one day at the dinner table with the kid with the daughters, how the parents actually brought me up. My parents actually brought me up. Right. And, and yeah, I told them that what I told you just now, if you did something wrong, they punish you, they cane you and, and scold you. And uh, you, you get physical punishment represent your, to make you learn remember. Right. And, and the, the father, my host was quite surprised. He definitely didn't say it, but was shocking to the daughter, of course, who was quite young. And he was like, so how do you do it? So I, I demonstrated, I, uh, I got shouted at. So I shouted, you know, for example, scolding in a scolding tone. And, and it, I could see that it was very unbelievable for a family who treats their daughters as, and their children as uh, peers who want to bring them up as, in a very mature. So more, treat more, equal, of, more like equal. equals. Yes, correct. Where even though they're the daughter, children, they're not their daughter to call them by their first names. Oh, yes. So that, it's that a lot of families very, like that. Yes, it was very uh, interesting for me as well. So, I guess different upbringing, different cultures. We we learn differently to be good, and uh, yes, in the end, <laughs> we're still trying all to be a better society. So in different ways. Well, that's what Taekwondo is, right? We shall build that's a right. more be- more peaceful world. In your dojong, if you're late. You get punishment? We used to. Used I to. always wanted to bring that back. <laughs> I wanted to bring that back, and we did it for a very short period of time, but we didn't follow up with it so much. Well, no one's like late anyway, right? Every minute, you know, 20 push-ups for every minute you're late or something like that. 20 push-ups? That's uh, it? And what do you do, sir? We don't punish anybody. Oh, I, no. No, no, no. We have a very bad uh, late, late uh, record now, even with the seniors, even with myself sometimes. Yeah. Oh, we should really be doing something about it. What I do is they get extra exercise. It's not a punishment. It's a privilege for them to do extra exercise. That's what it is. <laughs> and, Perfect. And that's, um, everyone gets that, including myself. So um, if my students are late, they get 100 um, burpees or squat, squat thrust. Yes, sir. Um, so they get 100 of those. You know, No big deal. Makes them stronger. I always tell them if if I was them, I'd be late all the time. I'd be stronger than anybody else. <laughs> you know. I think um, try that. And yeah, I you absolutely. You know what? I was late for my own class one time. My senior uh, student 
thought I wasn't coming or something. <laughs> so he started class and I was late. I was like, oh, I'm late. Uh -huh. And so for black belts, we, we have to do 200. I um, said, look, I'm not any different than you guys. So I did the 200 and all the students are just like watching and laughing and wow, that's cool. Wow. <laughs> that's great. So, yeah, you know, you, I think you do have to set an example. If you're going to dish it out, if you're going to tell someone to do something, mm -hmm. then you should be able to do do your best <laughs> at it as well. <laughs> well, I got I, I learned a, le a lesson there, and that, that lesson is don't be late for your own class. <laughs> That's how I handle that. Yeah, it makes a great example for them. Anyway, I'm going to let you go, and... Um, I really enjoyed uh, talking to you. Uh, hopefully, we can do it again, share different insights. I would love to pick your brain a little bit more as well as share yeah, some ideas. Definitely learn to le love to learn more from you as well. Great. So I'll let you go to bed, and I really do appreciate it. I appreciate having the opportunity. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you very much.